Well, let's make a short prayer together, and then I'm going to talk to you about God's secret plan. God's secret plan. Heavenly Father, we have, we have sung some really beautiful songs this morning. Beautiful in arrangement. Beautiful in structure. Beautiful in, deliver, in how they were delivered. And the, the source of the inspiration. The source of the admiration, devotion, and affection behind these songs that we have sung to you this morning was caused by how wonderful and great you are. That you are truly the greatest God. The true and only God. The living and true God. The God who is and was and will be. And Lord, we have come to know you through the ministry of your son, Jesus Christ. If he hadn't come to the cross, laid down his life for sinners and then took it up as proof that he had paid for our sins, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here. But Lord, this is what's happened. Now, Father, I'm taking this sermon in hand. And I pray that you help me as I deliver it. Help me to do it justice, I pray in Christ's special name. Amen. God's secret plan. For many people in the world, life is not too good. Sometimes the life that we live under the sun includes things that hurt us, things that make us sad. And if you're going through a bad time and you're a Christian person, what is it that you do when you're having a bad time? What do you do if you're a Christian person and things are going sideways, your life's going off the rails? What is it that you do when those things happen. Well, you pray. You call out to God. You say, oh Lord, please help me. Oh Lord, save me. Oh Lord, deliver me. Oh Lord, do something to get me out of this mess or at least stick your finger down from heaven and say, you're there. Because sometimes we wonder if he is really there. But in these bad times, sometimes we pray and talk to God We ask God to help us, but instead of God taking away the bad time, instead of God taking away the unfortunate circumstances that have befallen us, instead of getting us out of trouble, he leaves us in it. He didn't take you out. You're under under pressure, you're in the crucible, but God doesn't take you out. He leaves you there. Why does God do those kind of things? It's because God has a secret plan for your life that he will only let you in on later. A secret plan for your life that he only lets you in on in the future. In the Old Testament, there was a boy who was born to a man named Jacob and his wife Rachel. His name was Joseph. He was the 11th son of Jacob. And soon after he was born, his mother nursed him of course then she weaned him and then after we don't know how much time but his mother became pregnant a second time with his little brother Benjamin 
You know, she was, she'd only had two kids. Her sister and some of Jacob's other wives had many children, but she only had this one, and she'd been wanting to have a child for a long time. Finally, she has Joseph. She's so thrilled. She becomes pregnant the second time with Benjamin, and little Joseph sees his mom pregnant now with his baby brother, and she says, little Joey, you're going to have a little brother. You're going to have a little playmate, a little guy to run around with and do things with as he watched his mama's belly grow and swell, and she said, put your hand up here and feel the baby in mama's belly. Joseph going through all those things. The day came when his mother said, the time has come. The baby is on the way. And then Joseph was there. His mother delivers the child. Little Benjamin. Father takes him in hand, shows him to Joseph. But then his mother falls ill soon after Benjamin's birth and she dies. She dies. Think of it. My parents are both alive. But there are many people in this world who in their family, they had experienced at a young age the death of their father or the death of their mother. What a tough situation. Now Joseph is a son of Jacob. He knows about the true and living God. And I know that Jacob is a man of prayer, a man, of, a man who talks to God. And in these difficult times, he says, I'm sure Jacob was praying for Rachel to get better. Lord, please deliver her. But Joseph has a front row seat to seeing God not save his mom. And I'm sure as a little bitty kid, he may have walked into his mother's sickbed, you know, five or six years old in that simple childlike faith, maybe bowed his little turbaned head and said, Lord, please, please spare my mama. But God didn't do it. God took his mama on to glory, Sister Rachel. You can... Probably see that in the ensuing years, because Rachel was a favored wife of Jacob, Joseph becomes his favorite son. He's a son who needs a lot of attention. He's a son who needs a lot of time with his father. His mother has died. He's gone through a terrible tragedy. And so Joseph, over time, becomes his father's favorite son. And Joseph, as the favorite son, because he had to be like all favorite sons, he probably took a little advantage of it. He probably took a little liberty with it. But at one point, his father Jacob gives him a coat of many colors. That was a way of letting everybody know, this is my special son. Now maybe, maybe, there, was, maybe there was, a, maybe there was a, 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 a good reason for it. Because I've seen people here in Sheboygan. Uh, I saw a guy up at the bus barn. He's got this black dog. And everywhere he goes, that dog goes, right? And when hunting season came... I saw that dog show up at the bus barn wearing an orange vest. <laughs> Why is it? That's because the youpers come down here and hunt. <laughs> Put a vest on that dog to keep him safe, to watch over him. When I was a kid and we would go bird hunting in Illinois for pheasants, our, our bird dogs, they weren't my bird dogs, they were somebody else's bird dogs, they had little bells on their collar. Ting, 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 hear them going. And sometimes I put orange vests on those to keep an eye on them. I can remember when we, we had our little kids, we'd go to big groups. There'd be a lot of people there. We'd dress the kids, and we'd remember, remember what they were wearing, what color T-shirt they had on. You guys remember when, they put the, when people were putting kids on leashes? You guys remember that stuff? You want to keep up with these kids. Maybe the, maybe the multicolored coat also was Jacob's way of knowing where his boy was at all times because he cared for him. And I would like to just point out here just by way of, uh, you know, devotionally, is that if you are wearing the cloak of Christ's righteousness, 
it sticks out to your heavenly Father from heaven, and he knows exactly where you are. He can always see his children in this world. No matter how dark it is, no matter the, the mass of humanity you may be amongst, God knows where you are. But Joseph's older brothers, as older brothers often do, they didn't care too much for little Joe. They didn't like him. He annoyed them. They could tell his father preferred him over them, and it bothered them. And then one day, Joseph has two dreams, and these two dreams cause his brothers to really be disenchanted with him. Because the first dream that Joseph has is that he and his brothers are working in the field, and they're binding up sheaves. And Joseph, he gathers up his sheave of wheat, and he, he binds it together, and it stands up. And then the sheaves that his brothers are all gathering together, those sheaves bow down to Joseph's sheaf. And the point of the dream, as Joseph shares it, is that the brothers would ultimately bow down to Joseph. And when Joseph told his brothers, hey guys, I had this dream, all of his brothers realized immediately that that dream meant that one day they would bow down to him. And you know what their response was? Ain't no way I'm bowing down to my baby brother. There ain't no way at all. You know, my friends, as a young man, I thought I will never look up to my little brother. You know what I've been doing now for the last 26 years? I've been looking up to him because he's three inches taller than me. (laughs) They didn't like it. Well, the brothers told mom and dad. And they said, don't worry about it, it's just a dream. But then Jacob, Joseph had a second dream. And in that dream, he dreamed that the sun and the moon and 12 stars all bowed down to him. And mom and dad got mad. And they said, now wait a minute. We ain't bowing down to you because that's what the dream meant is that everybody would eventually bow down to Joseph. This kind of hostility and angst in Joseph's life, it just just kept on percolating and percolating until it boiled over. And Joseph's brothers, they decided we have to get rid of this guy. He is annoying the fire out of us. He is just, he is, we, we can't take it anymore. They're so envious of him that when he came out to visit them while they're in the field working, one of the brothers said, Let's kill him. And all the brothers said, let's do it. Let's kill our brother. And so they they grab him. They throw him in a pit. And they're going to wait to kill him. But the oldest brother, Reuben. Reuben says, no, we can't kill him. He is our brother. And so while Reuben's trying to figure out a way to get his brother out of trouble with the rest of the brothers, Reuben goes away, and while he's away, the other brothers, they see a band of slave traders coming by, and they say, let's sell Joseph into slavery, which is exactly what happens. Now, my friends, I want to ask you a question. Do you think when Joseph saw all his brothers angry, livid, and when they grabbed a hold of him, and when they throwed him in that pit, what do you think he said to God while he was in that pit? You said, oh, Lord, I love this pit. This is just the greatest pit in the world. I'm going to put a picture over here and a fireplace over here. And if I ever get the money, I'm going to expand the pit that way. You think that's what Joseph did in that pit? What does it seem sensible, logical, normal, normal for Joseph to have done while he's in that pit? Lord, get me out of this pit. Lord, get me out. Lord, don't let him kill me. And I'm sure as he's down there in that hole in the ground and he hears people moving around and then he sees a rope come over the edge and they say, put it around your armpits. 
He ties it around himself, and he thinks he's going to get out of the pit. Yay, Lord, you're going to get me out of the pit. Man, you answered my prayer. I'm getting out of here. God got him out of the pit, didn't he? Then sold to slaves. Sold was a slave. I'm sure as he was carried along by the slave traders, he wondered in his mind, God, what in the world are you doing with me? What's going on in my life? Why are you doing this to me? What is going on? Please, Lord, get me out of this trouble. Joseph goes down to a slave market in Egypt where he is sold to a man named Potiphar. And when he gets into Potiphar's house, he works hard for Potiphar. The Bible says that of all Potiphar's servants, he trusted Joseph the most, and he gave Joseph such control over his house that Potiphar didn't know anything about his personal finances or holdings except the food that he ate every day. And he did not withhold anything from Joseph. He let Joseph drive his Bentley. He let Joseph use his pool. He let Joseph hunt on his hunting lease. He let Joseph use his bass boat. Amen. He let Joseph had access to everything that Potiphar had. He only held one thing back from from Joseph, and that was Mrs. Potiphar, because around Mrs. Potiphar, he had a fence that said no touch. That was his wife. And Mrs. Potiphar... She must, have, she must have been, I don't, I don't know what to say about her. But Joseph is with her day after day in the house. And she gets to looking at him and he's smart, handsome. And she begins to take a shine to him. Now for those of you from Michigan, that means she liked him. <laughs> You're welcome. And so... One day, she caught him over in a part of the palace or house. And she said, why don't you come over here and get a little sugar? And he said, I'm sorry, I can't. You're the boss's wife. And he moved on. Then day after day, she's becoming more and more overt in her advances on him, her sexual advances. Until one day she finally grabs a hold of him by the coat and says, Come on, I can't take it anymore. I gotta have you, gotta have you right now. And when she's pulling on him, the Bible says he he gets away from her. He wiggles out of his coat. Remember how when you were playing tag as a kid and somebody tried to get a hold of you and grab your coat and you could shoot out of that coat? That's exactly what he did. He got out of there. Well, Mrs. Potiphar, her pride is so upset she's so wounded she's so offended she's so irritated that joseph this little slave boy would dare refuse her that when potiphar came home she said to potiphar you know that guy you trust with all your heart you know that guy you let drive your bentley you know the guy you let take your boat you know the guy you let sit in your deer stand you know that guy who you let use all the stuff you like you know you know your buddy joseph you know what he did today He walked right down the hallway to our bedroom and he tried to be intimate with me. Now, I don't know about you, brothers, but if I came home and my wife told me that somebody had made those kind of advances towards her and I lived in a world where human life didn't really matter too much, especially a slave's life, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to wherever he is and I'm going to remove his noggin head from his body <laughs> in anger, injustice. But something interesting happens. Potiphar does not do that. 
Instead, he puts Joseph in prison. Now that tells me something. That tells me that Potiphar must not have been able to really get his mind around this accusation. Maybe Mrs. Potiphar had a reputation and he factors that into the equation. But Joseph goes to prison. Now he, was, he didn't go to you know, one of these gravy train kind of prisons. He went to a bad prison. In fact, that reading there in Psalms, if you read back a little ways, it, or backwards or forwards, I don't remember where it's at in the psalm. But it says that when he was put in prison, his feet were bound with fetters. And when they bound your feet with fetters in the king's prison in Egypt, they would beat him on the feet to keep him, you know, from running off. So Joseph's going through a bad way. Now, what do you think old Joseph is doing? When he's in Potiphar's house and everything is going his way, you think he was praising the Lord? Of course he was. He's saying, Lord, he, he felt like God answered his prayer. And things are going so well in his life. And then all of a sudden, one day, out of the blue, this happens. Now he's in prison. And while he's in prison, I think, the Bible doesn't say it explicitly, but I would figure that Joseph probably starts praying there too. Lord, I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand why you let me be falsely accused. I don't understand this. It doesn't make any sense to me. What in the world is happening, Lord? I don't like this. But while he's in prison, the Lord is with Joseph there, and Joseph tries to be the best prisoner he can be. Have you ever thought about what that means? Be the best, best prisoner you could be. Now, you guys know what, to, know what it means to be the best employee you can be, right? Show up on time, work most of the day, <laughs> take the appropriate length breaks, etc. You know, do your best at your job. How do you be the best prisoner? Beat me again. <laughs> you missed the spot. <laughs> How do you do that? Well, Joseph, whatever they needed him to do, he did it. He, did, he doesn't seem to have let his ill treatment make him bitter about his current circumstance. He seems to have just taken it as he went along. And he finds favor with the jailkeeper. And he gets promoted. We would call it like a trustee. He's promoted to being a trustee. But he's still in prison. And then one day, these two guys come into prison. Pharaoh has these two servants the butler and the baker. And these two guys are, have fallen out of favor with Pharaoh because of something that happened. And while they're in prison, these two guys, Joseph, has to watch over them for some reason. Now, probably because Pharaoh didn't mean for them to be there a long time. They're just going to be there a short time. And Joseph is a trustee, and he's working with them because they're not put into general population yet. They're still in processing. You guys who've been in jail know what that's like, right? <laughs> so while, he, while, he's in pro, while they're in process, Joseph has a little talk with them. And they say, you know, we've been having these dreams. And they tell Joseph their dreams. And Joseph, in a moment of clarity, in a moment of divine illumination, he knows what their dreams mean. And he says to the baker, the butler, he says, don't worry, your dream means that in three days you're going to be back at your old job in the house with Pharaoh. You're going to be back up there. And, he's, and that guy was pretty thrilled. And so the baker, he says, hey, I can't wait to hear what my dream means. 
And when Joseph tells him what his dream means, he says, your dream means that after three days, you're going to be taken out and hung by the neck until you're dead, and the birds are going to eat your body. He was not happy about that. He says, why this for that? And Joseph says, I'm not, it's not Joseph's, Joseph's not the one doing it. This is the dream. And guess what happens in three days? Both things happen. One guy's restored, one guy is killed. And when Joseph sees the guy who is going to be restored, the butler, going back to the palace, Joseph, who is shrewd, he says, hey, don't forget about me when you get to the big house. Don't forget about me when you're up there with Pharaoh. Don't forget about me. And the guy says, don't worry, I got your card. You ever given somebody your card? He said, don't forget about me. Whenever you need something, here's my card. And you walk away with it and you think, oh, biggest score of my life. The doors are going to open. It's going to be great. But what happens to business cards so often? They get made into toothpicks. You ever pick your tooth with a business card? You should try it sometime. Maybe you guys are too sanitary for that. <laughs> or, or, they, or they get used as a, as a, a scratch pad. To do little figures. Maybe you calculate the, your gas mileage on the back of there. Before we had digital stuff, you know, we just calculate gallons and miles. And, and then thrown away. Thrown away. I've used business cards for shims and all kinds of stuff. But just lost. Just lost. Just lost. Finally, after two years, Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh's dream troubles him big time. Because in his dream, he dreams about a time where there are seven fat, juicy cows who come out of the river onto the land, and they're just beautiful. And then seven scrawny, bony, miserable, moth-eaten, yucky cows come out of the river, and they eat the seven beautiful cows. And Pharaoh wakes up, And you know what's interesting about that is, have you ever had a dream and you woke up and thought, why did I have that dream? What does this dream mean? Well, I have tons of dreams. I don't have tons of dreams, but (sighs) I often have dreams. And I wake up and I go, what was the point of that dream? And by lunchtime, I forgot what it was. First thing in the morning, I'm like, hey, yeah, this this, this dream might define the rest of my life. But then by lunch, dream? What dream? But this dream stays with Pharaoh, and it bothers him. And so he calls all his wise men around, all his counselors, and he says, guys, what does this dream mean? And every one of those guys say, we don't know. And so the butler, when he comes in with his little cart full of wine to give to Pharaoh, he hears Pharaoh talking about it, and he says, oh, Pharaoh, I know a guy who interpreted my dream And he rehearses to him what happened. And Pharaoh says, go get that guy. And they go down to prison and they get Joseph. Now this is is weird to me. They got Joseph out of prison. Before they brought him to see Pharaoh, they shaved his whole body. So when Joseph showed up, he is a bald eyebrowless, beardless, hairless being. Which tells me that the Egyptians were weird. 
If that's your take on fashion, that is un- most unusual to me. But Joseph comes in before Pharaoh, and he says to Pharaoh, he hears the dream. Joseph tells him the interpretation of the dream. What the dream means, he says, is that there's going to be seven years of blessings on Egypt, and you guys are going to make so much hay, you're never going to be able to eat it all. And then there's going to become seven years of famine, and you guys are just going to be scraping the barrel, and be, you, have to, you have to save up your money while you're making it, because the lean times are coming. Well, Pharaoh says that's the answer. That has to be true. And then Pharaoh says, who's going to take care of this? Who's going to manage this savings project? Who's going, to, who's going to watch over this? What wise man does Pharaoh know who could know the interpretation to his dream? What wise man? Joseph. And so he makes Joseph the number two guy in Egypt, gives Joseph a chariot to ride around on, gives Joseph a wife, gives him a new name. And Joseph now is, went from the pit to the prison, to the palace. And things are going great. Things are going great. Now, Joseph was put in the pit when he was 17 years old. 17 years old. He goes before Pharaoh when he's 30 years old. Now, what is that class? 30 minus 17 is 13 years. 13 years. And then you have seven years, seven years of prosperity in Egypt. 13 plus 7 is 20. And then the famine years begin. And somewhere in those famine years, my own guesstimations are about halfway through, let's just say three years. After 23 years, Pitt palace, pit prison palace. Now he's the number two guy. He successfully carried out the grain savings plan for the nation. He has, he has Egypt in a winning position. He's enriching Pharaoh incredibly through this. And one day while he's sitting in the palace chambers, in comes Almost a dozen guys who look a lot alike. And he realizes in a moment who they are. That's his brothers who tossed him in the pit. That's his brothers who said, we're going to kill you. Those are his brothers who made his teenage years hell. There they are. And what does he do? They don't recognize him. They don't know who he is. They, 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 he, he knows them because they're not expecting to see their brother. They sold their brother as a slave. They're not expecting to see him sitting on the throne in Egypt. And they come in. And what happens is one of the, one of the, the, uh, one of the greatest examples of forgiveness and mercy. Uh, the whole, uh, just incredible things. Joseph now is in a position to save his brother's lives. He saves his whole family. And because God placed Joseph there, the nation of Israel, which at that time only composed 75 people, 75 people, they all end up moving 
to the territories that Egypt had the oversight of and protected. They moved there. And because of God placing Joseph there, there, they have this land called the land of Goshen. And Israel dwells there for nearly 500 years. And when they leave in the Exodus, their numbers are in the hundreds of thousands. They become mightier and stronger than the Egyptians themselves. Because God placed Joseph there to make it possible. You see, after Joseph's father died, his brothers came to see Joseph. And they said, Joseph, now these guys, these guys, are, these guys are something. They come and they say to him, look, before dad died, he said, please don't kill us. And that's not what Joseph did, not what Jacob did. He didn't have to say that because he knew Joseph. He knew Joseph was merciful and forgiving. And what Joseph does is Joseph is able to say with some perspective, he says to those guys, don't worry. The things that you meant to me for evil, God meant them for good. Now that is a mouthful of words. The evil things that you did to me, God meant those evil things that you did to me to turn out for good. Who's good? The good of those who did the evil? The good of him who was the object of the evil. What a thing to think about. My friends, the reason why God doesn't get us out of the bad stuff sometimes is because those bad situations are part of God's secret plan that are going to turn out to our good. To our good. I, you know, I've been a pastor my whole adult life, and I've talked to people so many times, having tough times, hard times, they're sick, marriage is failing, kids are going nuts, all these difficulties. And I wish that I could say, pray this magic little prayer, and everything will be fixed. Rub this lamp, and you get three wishes. But that's not how it works. God has a secret plan for every one of us' life, and you are in the middle of that plan now. And my friends, you may not know, and I guarantee you, you probably don't know the why of what's going on in your life all the time. But you have to trust God is at work in your life. Your bad times are part of God's plan for your life. Your good times are part of God's plan for your life. We have to trust God's providential workings in our life. You are a part of a secret plan too. You may say, well, that's just the Bible. That's just Joseph. It's just Joseph. I mean, all these Bible stories, there's, there's no way there's anything like we're not the same. Those are Bible guys. We're, we're regular guys. Well, you know what? Those guys, they were regular guys too, just like you and me, just the same way. God is working in our lives as well. Now, here's my, here's my sentence. Your sorrows and my sorrows Your troubles and my troubles are part of God's plan for our lives to get us where he wants us to be and to make us what he wants us to be. God is working. Now, we sang all these songs about God, didn't we? And what what are we singing in those songs? God is what? Incomparable. Incredibly powerful, rich in mercy. 
a lover of sinners. You have to trust God's work in your life. I've been a dad for uh, 20, I guess Lauren will be 25, so I've been a dad for a long time. And sometimes, you know, I've had, we've had all these kids, at different times during the years, we've had chores of all kinds. You may have chores, remember chores? You've got stuff you've got to do. And we, we've given the kids all kinds of chores. And uh, mo- actually, mostly Valerie has given out lots of chores because I'm the good guy. <laughs> all this work to do. Now, I've told uh, yesterday, Matt was... Uh, was doing something, enjoying himself, having a good time. And I said, Matt, you need to go out there and shovel the driveway. And he said, all right. He popped up, went out there, and shoveled the snow off the driveway. And and actually, while I was watching him work, I got the idea that maybe he was having a good time out there. (laughs) he, He didn't seem to be cussing and swearing and breaking the shovel. I mean, it looked like he was actually, the work was making him feel good. And then, you know, things like that happen, don't they? You have to make your kids do stuff. Now, it was cold out there, snowing yesterday. Last night, one of the kids had a little, had a little uh, ride to the ditch. And, and I said, Matt, we got to go. He leapt up, and out the door he went. And I, I can be honest with you, Matt's our youngest kid, and I've had that, that exact same experience with all of our children, all of them. Leaping up and helping me do, achieve, all kinds of things. Now, some of the things you ask your kids to do are not pleasant, are they? They're hard. It's tough. Makes them cry. Makes them hurt a little bit. But we we do those things not because we hate them, but because we need to make them into men and women who can see and overcome challenges. Because life ain't easy, is it? You sometimes, well, Stonewall Jackson, I hate to quote Stonewall, but Stonewall Jackson said, sometimes just surviving is victory. Because life can be difficult. Life can be tough. You have to trust God. Now here's this little maxim. It's a cliche. It's well-traveled. Don't roll your eyes when I say it to you. When you can't see God's plan, you have to trust His heart. You have to trust Him, what He is and what He's doing. So my friends, I'd just like to say to you, that whatever's going on in your life, you're praying to get out of it. I'm right there with you praying to get out of my trials. We have to trust that God is working in ways that we don't understand. We have to trust Him. We have to trust Him. Can you do it? Let's make a prayer together. While your heads are bad and your eyes are closed, I want, to talk, I want to talk to you just for a second, to your inner person, to you, to talk to your heart. I want to ask you, if you have become a follower of Jesus on purpose by becoming a Christian, have you ever called upon him and said, Jesus, please save me, wash away my sins, and trusted your life to him. Have you done that? You say, well, I, I, I don't think I have. I wish you would think about doing it. 
You may say, well, God won't have me. I'm too, I'm too yucky. I'm too messed up, too fouled up. My family is just, my family, you know, is, is a mess. My life's a mess. I'm a mess. God will take you. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Jesus said, I am not come to call the righteous to repentance. But they who are sick, they need a physician. Jesus has come to be a soul healer for you. He's come to save sinners. His arms are wide open to sinners, the worst kind of sinners. Have you done that? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And my friends, you can start it today. And while your head's bowed and your eyes closed, you could pray, Lord, I want you to be my Savior, and I want you to help me live my life. And God will do that. The Holy Spirit will take up residence within you, and you can go forward with some divine assistance, with some illumination on your path. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian person. And you don't really care for the way things are going in your life. Things are just rotten. And you don't know what the point of it all is. My friend, trust in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. and Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And he will direct your paths. It is not in man to know his own way. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord with it. Go to God once again. If you become embittered against God and you're mad at God, go to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry for being upset with you. Please forgive me. He will forgive you. He's not keeping score. He's not, he's the whole grudges. If you say, Lord, forgive me, he does clean slate. It's taken away. God is at work in your life and in mine. Now let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this tremendous example in the life of Joseph. Paul said in Romans 15, the things that are written aforetime are written for our understanding and instruction that we might have hope. And Lord, I don't know how many times, Father, I've thought of that little sentence from Joseph. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Has lifted my little heart up on the sea of adversity. And Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us, we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.